Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Feeling safe. Taking just a minute. Like a tortoise, I move into the safety of my inner world and experience a world free from distractions. I feel secure, protected, knowing that I am true to myself. I experience my true value, independent of the influence of others. I now gently step back into my surroundings. Shanti, the time that we choose to be aware doesn't necessarily require me to just sit and meditate, but even while I walk and move around, I can be in a meditative awareness, which is awareness of the soul the original, eternal, imperishable being of light. For a little while, I'd like to invite you to be present, to be here, and to be now. Allow your mind to settle in the moment, to relax. This meditation is about awareness. It's about becoming aware of your original and eternal self. It's about connecting to your truth. Let go of your name. And observe yourself feeling nameless. Let go of your gender to discontinue thinking you're a man or a woman. Let it go and observe how you would feel walking around without a gender. Let go of 
the role that you play and let go of the titles that you own. Observe how you're feeling as you are gradually letting go. Let go of your religion and put it aside just for now. And let go of your nationality and even the language that you're accustomed to. Imagine you have no name, gender, role, title, religion, nationality, or even a language. Ask yourself. How do you feel at this moment? And in this feeling, who would think of you and who would you think of? Supreme Soul would think of you, and you, the liberated soul, would think of the Supreme. In this state of absolute freedom, I am truly who I am. A free Peaceful, pure, immortal, and eternal soul. Allow yourself to just be absorbed in this awareness. this time. Welcome everyone. Hope you like the opening of the show today. We're diving deeper into ourselves so that we can find more power, accumulated wisdom and accumulated refined experience. Thank you for joining America Meditating Radio. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. That was from Inclusion Revolution Together with Love that I did, I think, about two or three years ago, and the opening of the show was Suggest a Minute Meditation by Sister Genti. Of course, it's our good wish that you're well, and your family is well, and you're doing fine. And for the days that we have to be just a little bit to ourselves, it's a blessing in disguise for us to maybe sort out a few things that we've been missing, and you know, every time you would talk to a friend or someone, they'd say, I'm too busy. But it's also a time in which we can maybe fall back into some old patterns too. So we need to be mindful of this particular time and look at it more as an opportunity and not as a loss. 
So I'm looking at learning a new language, picking up an instrument, writing the book. I know a lot of folks who says I need to do it, but maybe not. <laughs> Let me just see. I might do another CD. I'm listening to different genres of music, talk calling to friends that I haven't spoken to in a long time. It's a really personal time. I'm really appreciating it. And every day until all of this blows over, we're going to have a live program from 6.30 to 7.30 on our Facebook, I think, and also YouTube for the Meditation Museum. So tune in and listen to some of the ideas. Guest speakers will be coming on, and it'll be live, so you could also communicate with them from 6.30 to 7.30. And that'll be on YouTube and I think on Facebook Live as well every day, Eastern Standard Time. So hopefully that will help you to get through these next few weeks and for you to be able to make light of the situation. Again, I consider this a blessing in disguise. We have a wonderful opportunity now to pay attention to ourselves without feeling selfish or becoming too self-absorbed. <laughs> Today's guest is a very special one. Dr. Carter Stout's life was morphed from being pretty self-indulgent rich kid to junkie when he actually tried crack cocaine for the first time. His identity had completely disappeared, and along with his grandmother, Silver, both sold to support his habit. His intense craving for the euphoric rock landed him in Ghost Town, the dangerous Oakwood neighborhood of Venice Beach, California. Now, the horrors of how addiction trumped privilege are stark in Carter Stout, Ph.D.'s vivid memoir, Lost in Ghost Town. It's a memoir of addiction, redemption, and hope, in unlikely places. But now, Carter has been sober for 14 and a half years. Dr. Stout is now a Los Angeles-based psychologist and therapist to Hollywood's elite. His clientele includes Oscar, Golden Globe, Grammy, Tony, and Emmy winners, best-selling authors, and many others. Today gives me great privilege to welcome Dr. Carter Stout to America Meditating Radio. Hi, Carter. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having mm -hmm. me. There's nothing like walking the journey, right? That been there, done that. So let me sit and tell you what's going to happen. And I know that even for me on my journey of spirituality, when I tell folks I used to rock and own two nightclubs that were the best at South Beach, they look at me like, mm -hmm. huh? I thought you were a saint. I go, what? I can't be a saint. <laughs> and you know what happens, Carta, is that they start to go, oh, I hear you now. So you know what I'm going through. You know what I've been through. So what's it been like for you being 14 and a half years sober? And let's say nowadays you sit with your clients. What emerges in you when you're looking at that soul, knowing that that was your past? Well, I see myself in most people I work with. And there is an authenticity that's created in the room. There's an energetic that is really profound because it is vastly different to be with someone when you feel that they really understand your experience, the depths of your pain, the depths of your suffering, the complications of your obsessive compulsive actions and disorders. And I have found that there is the ability to create a safe space for people and they feel safe when they are with me for the most part and begin to open up in a way that perhaps they couldn't with somebody who had not gone through those experiences themselves. Yes. I have a lot of sisters in our spiritual community that 
They were virgin. They've never really looked at money. They've never traveled. They've never really seen much. And I've had folks say when I talk to that particular soul, even though I love the power of their innocence and their purity, they feel like they don't get me. And so even though the energy is sweet and pure, they still don't Mm -hmm. feel the transmission of what can help them. Some of us tend to have this notion that if you're rich, if you come from a father who founded the National Journal magazine and a mother who just seems to be the prima donna of the community and you raise in a mansion and you go to all of that, life is perfect. And I think on one level, there is a blessing in that and there's something beautiful. But it's clear that something for Carter in those days, something was missing. Was it the attention? Was it your interpretation of what you think love means? Or did you just happen to meet the wrong friend at maybe the right time? Because somehow Mm. your life went completely opposite to the life that you were born in. Want to tell us a little bit about that backstory? Of course. I think you have described a combination of many factors that contributed to really my divergence from a spiritual life and a balanced life. And I grew up in Washington, D.C., in Georgetown, and Mm -hmm. I was given all of the advantages that one could have, except I never felt that I was getting the appropriate amount of attention and love from my mother and father. And I don't think that I could quantify it at that time or really understand what was happening, but I felt as though I wasn't important I felt as though I wasn't valuable. And what's interesting is that I hear this same belief and this same message from so many of my patients that I work with. And regardless if they came from an affluent background or if they came from poverty or if they are right in the middle somewhere, there's this prevalent feeling that we didn't get what we needed from our parents. And that's not to say that we blame them for the road that we have taken or the path. You know, I'm a father today, and I have two beautiful children, and I'm extremely aware of how important the present moment is and the teachings that I bestow upon them and the attention that I give them and the time that I spend with them. The time is very sacred. And I didn't get those things from my mother and father. I didn't get that time. They were distant. My father was involved in a lot of business ventures. My mother, unfortunately, became an alcoholic and wasn't able to be present for me in my life. So I grew up feeling a bit dissociated, feeling a bit distant. And early on in my life, as a young boy, I began to develop eating disorders, which at the time was in the early 80s. And it was Mm -hmm. not something that was prevalent. It was not something that was understood. And when my parents found out about it, they had absolutely no idea how to handle me, how to treat it. And it just went overlooked. But that was the first time that I really felt this energy of addiction in me because Mm -hmm. eating disorders are really an obsessive compulsive way to handle food. And that was really the beginning of this energetic that remained in me. So from the outside looking in, when I was 13, there was an article about my family in People magazine when People Magazine was on every drugstore shelf and it was still sort of a legitimate magazine and people thought of our family as this really wonderful family, but on the inside I was really suffering and in a lot of pain. Right. 
Now, you said something that was interesting. You could feel the addiction inside of you. What did that yes. feel like? Was no, it a I've yearning, a longing? Yeah, I've worked now with addiction for a long time, and mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to be able to study psychology and go back to school. When I finally got sober, thank you, I worked two jobs, and I took out student loans, and I put myself through school, and it was a 10-year experience, and it really gave my life a lot of purpose. But I studied a type of psychology which was more Jungian in nature, the theories of Carl Jung, who believed very much in the soul and focused much of his work on how we connect with the soul and how we listen to the soul and how the soul communicates with us. And Jung also believed in this concept and really brought it to the forefront of psychology of archetypes. An archetype really is pattern of behavior or thought or action that we share universally that everyone understands and everyone knows to some degree. I began to think about addiction and my experience and the people that I spoke to and this prevalent surge of this addiction in the world right now. And I began to believe really that addiction is an archetype and it's archetypal. And it's something that all of us share to some degree. We have it in our unconscious. It's out there in the collective, whether it's how we look at our telephone and have the relationship we have, or if it's needing affection and love, or if it's a relationship with food or work, mm-hmm. that there's this energy that's prevalent in the world right now. And all addiction really is, all this energy really is, is obsessive thoughts. So we obsess about something. We think about our text message that we sent, and, and we check our phone 10 times or 20 times, thinking, why is this person not responding back? And Oh, so those are very clear signs that there's a possibility yep. for addiction emerging in some form this or the energy, other. Energy, you know, yeah. because I don't really love the term addict. Mm-hmm. I say there's this addictive that reaches us all at some point. And then the thing that stops the addictive energy is a compulsive action. So yeah. the checking of the phone or the eating of the food or the drinking of the alcohol or the going to work and digging in. So there's this obsessive compulsive loop. And so I'm focusing my work on this hypothesis right now and actually starting another book. Fantastic. Congrats on that question. And this is just something that I've heard and I would love to hear your thoughts on this. That feeling where in your mind there is a perception, an idea, an expectation isn't my mom and dad supposed to treat me more like that? Now, let's put that aside. Now, let's say you're in a group of people at work, and 90% of the people at work look at you like, oh, what's wrong with him? He's such and such, and you can feel it as an energy and as a vibration. Mm -hmm. And that can hit you at a level in which you start to question your value, your worth, your place in the world. I'm asking this because it came up yesterday what would you tell someone who feels they're in that position? It could be like a sense of, I don't belong, or maybe I'm not good mm-hmm. enough. What are some mm-hmm. of the prescriptions that you would offer someone on a mm-hmm. thought level to not get into that place and to somehow still be honest that, is there truth? Is there something wrong with my attitude that 90% of the people in the office seem to have it in mm-hmm. for me? You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Of course. Well, I always defer to spirituality as a Mm -hmm. way to really combat these negative beliefs or these negative voices. And what I mean by spirituality is 
personally for me, it's about connecting to my soul every day and having a dialogue with my soul and really trying to remember that human beings are a balance of our human side and our spiritual side. And so there's always this conflict. And when we get too much in the human side of ourselves, oftentimes we get caught in our minds and our heads and we can get distracted and we can start to think negative thoughts or negative beliefs or we can catastrophize or be in fear. And these are very human emotions and very human actions. But when we connect to the spiritual side of ourselves, then we get into a place really more of love and of more of understanding our value and our self-worth and more of Mm -hmm. generosity and more of kindness. And there can be a real shift, and it just requires a bit of a spiritual practice in the morning. You know, I have a busy life with writing and Mm -hmm. children, but I make time every day to do this spiritual practice, and it really grounds me. And then if I am in the presence of someone who is critical of me or somebody who is judging of me, or if someone, if I feel surge or a frequency of negativity coming towards me, then I remember that that is not mine, that I don't have to hold it, I don't have to own it, and I don't have to believe it And because mm. I am connected to my own value and my own self-worth. Beautiful. That's where the spiritual empowerment comes from. Your memoir, Lost in Ghost Town, which was endorsed by actress Gwyneth Paltrow, is really personal. Yes, Any reason why that story emerged from you? I know we all have our memoir either sitting in us and wanting to come out on the paper, but most yes. of us just don't put it on paper. Yes. So tell us a little bit about how it actually affected you to relive those memories of your past, or have you been living with them and just decided to put it on paper? Yes, well... The way that I emerged as a writer, and I think it's a great point that you make, I believe that we all have a story and that that Mm -hmm. there's a writer inside all of us. And whether you write something and it gets published or not is really not the point. It's that we're all storytellers. And storytelling, once again, is archetypal. We live the stories of the past and we live the stories of mythology. It's a wonderful expression of our creativity even if we're telling our own story, to just get it out of us. It's extremely therapeutic and extremely cathartic. And for me, I always had wanted to be a writer in high school and college, and I wrote short stories and won a few awards back when I was in college. But I never, I guess, really believed in myself as a writer, and I went on Mm -hmm. different paths and I tried different things. And when I became a psychologist, I had the opportunity to write for Goop, which is the lifestyle brand website of Gwyneth Paltrow. And it's a wonderful site because it has so many different perspectives from psychologists and from doctors and from spiritual people that offer solutions to problems. And they're not mainstream perspectives oftentimes. So if you haven't gone on the site, you really should check it out. I Gwyneth will. gave me the opportunity to write a few times, and I received a lot of positive feedback from what I was writing. That really gave me the confidence to say, you know, I have this story in me that I know that I always wanted to tell because of its uniqueness and reached a tipping point, and I said, okay, well, I'm just going to sit down and do this. And, you know, the story really is about the lowest point in my life when I was addicted to drugs and I was living in Venice, California. And the only 
asset that I had left. I was being evicted from my apartment. I didn't have any money. My family had cut me off, but I did have a car, and it was because of that car that I forged an unlikely friendship with somebody who was dealing drugs. He was from a very different world. He was an African-American man. I was a white man, and the two of us came together. We became really close friends, and he was not a typical drug dealer. He was book smart, self-educated, and he was spiritual, kind, generous. And he and his grandmother, who brought him up, asked me to come live in their home and sort of take care of me and propel me to want to get sober in the end. So the story really about these circumstances that I was confronted with, but then these amazing people that were there for me in a way that my family had never been. It's a story of addiction, but it's also a story of love and friendship and hope. And telling the story, I felt it could really affect people in a positive way and be helpful to people that were really feeling like there was no hope and they were hitting bottom and they were an inescapable set of circumstances. I just want to let everyone know that you can always climb up out of that place and you can always get through it and have a better life, and that I'm living proof of that. Sure. Were there times when you thought that you just weren't going to make it? Certainly. There were many times. There were many nights, there were many days that I questioned whether I should still be here on the earth. I was in a lot of compounded anguish and confusion, disillusionment, pain, and I didn't really know why. It wasn't until I worked on myself later in life that I really understood that it was all of these negative emotions that I was holding on about my mother and father. But there were times that I considered taking my own life. You know, being in the loop of addiction is not only self-destructive for your family and all of the people around you, but it's a state of despair that you're in yourself. It's certainly not glamorous at all. And you are constantly thinking about something and having to try and get it and then put it into your system. And and that's just a continual loop that goes on and on and on. And it's a lot of suffering. So there were moments certainly where I said, you know, maybe I should just end this suffering. Maybe I just need to go to the other side. Fortunately, I found my way again. And I only found it through the help of a lot of incredible people that taught me that I had every right to feel the way that I did, but there was a way to deal with those feelings so that I could start to heal and get better. That was the moment for me that I said, you know, I believe that this could be a calling for me and this could be something really fulfilling for me to work with others and to help them heal. And that's when I decided to go back to school. Mm -hmm. Did you meet a love of your life that tends to sometimes wake us up in the midst Mm -hmm. of our nightmares? (laughs) Well, it's interesting because when I remember when I was growing up as a, even a child and then an adolescent, I always thought to myself, well, the one thing that I really want to have in life is a family. I want to be in love. I want to have children. I want to have a home. All of the things that I think many of us dream about. And because of my addiction and the path that I took, I really wasn't able to find love. And so I emerged from that struggling time in my life. And I was 40 years old and I thought, maybe this isn't going to happen for me. And I was very sad. And then one day I 
remembered someone from my past who I hadn't treated very well because of my addiction. And I decided mm-hmm. to get in touch with her and actually make an amends to her and tell her how sorry I was. And the two of us began to talk, and I went to visit her. We forgave each other and realized that there was a lot of love between us. And six months later, we were engaged. It was really because of the amends. And then six months later, we were married. And we've been married now for over seven years. And we have two beautiful children, a daughter and a son. My daughter's name is Maxine and my son is Sebastian. And they're everything in my life. And so I now have come full circle and have those things that I always dreamed about when I was younger. And I have a family now. We live in the Santa Monica Mountains on a hillside near the Pacific Ocean, and we go on Mm -hmm. hikes and beach walks with each other, and I just feel incredibly blessed. And it happened late for me, certainly, in life, Mm -hmm. but it was just at the right time because it was the time that I could really receive these things. You can give them really the best of you now. Everything is in divine order. Your parents, anywhere a part of the story from your side? They are part of the story. The way the story is structured is that my time in Venice is the present tense of the story. And then every other chapter is a a look at my childhood or my adolescence or my young adulthood. And it really tells the story of how I arrived there in Venice. So the childhood chapters very much talk about my parents and my relationship with them. And my grandmother as well is a character in the story because she was a clairvoyant. And she came to me a lot. In the story, in my adult life, she would appear and I would actually communicate with her, whether or not that was because of the substances I was taking or she Mm -hmm. was having some sort of intervention with me spiritually. You know, that's subject to interpretation. But she was very much a protector for me. That that was a factor as well. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like things are really beautiful for you, and I'm so happy to hear that. Any last-minute message that you can share with someone who might be on the brink of saying, I just don't have any more control to make a change. What would you tell them? I would tell them that you do have the strength to make a change. Uh, We all have the strength. It's all within us. We have incredible resilience as human beings and as spiritual warriors. And reach out to someone, if it's just a friend, tell them about what's going on, receive the help. The hardest thing to do is to ask for help because it's oftentimes people are in a lot of shame or they're embarrassed or they just don't know what to do. And just reach out. Find that one person that can just pull you out of where you are a little bit. That is the beginning of a new way. And I heard your introduction talking about this is a blessing in some regards and an opportunity for people to focus on some things maybe they wanted to, that haven't had the time to do, and to reconnect with family. But in terms of the fear, I would just encourage people not to live in fear, because I believe that fear is not yours to have. It is, once again, is an energy that is not part of our spiritual nature. We're not born with fear. We collect fear as we go along in the human experience. And so there is the ability for you to release your fear. And one of the ways to do it, and I'm just going to give you a very simple, simple exercise, try and get out of your head and try and get into your heart. And one of the ways that I do that is simply when I am 
feeling a little bit agitated or feeling a little unbalanced, I just simply put my right hand over my heart and I hold it there and I feel my heart beat and I feel the love that's inside of me. That tends to really pull me out of my mind and get me present with the experience of my life and hold it there for as long as you want to. My hope is that you will start to feel better. That's beautiful advice. Dr. Carter Stahl, thank you so much for your beautiful presence and your work in the world. Congratulations for living such an inspiring story. You know, at times we can say, I have a regret, but when you look at life, you kind of wonder to yourself, if I hadn't made that choice, I wouldn't be where I am. Certainly. I agree wholeheartedly, yeah. Yeah, so there really shouldn't be anything as regret, right? There shouldn't be regret. I think that one of the most divine qualities that we can have is mm-hmm. the ability to forgive ourselves and forgive others and to let all of this pain go and let all of this anger and this resentment go. And we can do that through the process of forgiveness. I forgive myself every day and I don't feel like I'm carrying around any of those feelings from my past. And it's really a beautiful way to live. And I encourage all of you to really be in a place of forgiveness. No matter what has happened to you or what you have done yourself, don't carry around shame and guilt for it. Forgive yourself for it. And you are going to feel a lot more free and a lot more present in your life. I love that. Leave us with a website. And do you come up to Washington, D.C. anymore? Well, I was just there last week. Oh, no. Yes. My memoir is called Lost in Ghost Town, and it's out now. And I would love for anyone who is interested in a really unique story to buy it on Amazon. And my website is www.drcarterstout.com. So Dr. Carter Stout, and you spell my name, C-A-R-D-E-R-S-T-O-U-T. And I was in Washington just last week for a book opening. I did a reading at the Kramer Bookstore on DuPont Circle and had a gathering after that to celebrate the launch of the memoir. So I'm sorry I missed you. Me too. But next time you're back, we'll get together for sure. Absolutely. I grew up in Washington, D.C. I didn't mention that. I grew up in Georgetown. You did in Georgetown. You did at the beginning, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Washington is quite a town to grow up in too, isn't it? It's no joke. It's a beautiful town. It's very interesting. It's very unique, definitely. But coming back there, I got off the plane and I walked in the neighborhood that I was staying in. And there's just a feeling in the air in Washington. It's unlike the feeling of any other city that I've ever been in. And it was really great to be back. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Please be safe. All the very best. Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you. Same here. Take care. I love a comeback story. I love when the individual really transmits the sense of authenticity in their storytelling. That's Dr. Cowder Stout. You can find some more information on him at C-A-R-D-E-R-S-T-O-U-T. For more information, you can contact him. Hope you've enjoyed our conversation today. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we really love each other the same, so let's do that. And please be careful. Keep your light going. Pay attention to what the CDC is saying. Listen to the podcast. Go on Spotify, iHeart. We've got a lot of wonderful conversations to enrich your mind, empower your mind, 
and just make these next few weeks go by really well. Lots of growing curves available for us right now. All right, much love, everyone. Please take care. And here's Albie waiting. Take care.
Sister Jenna, you've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.